0: If we have a little bit more time, uh, we could address one of the other questions I had, and I had uh, gotten some uh, good responses from my Instagram crew from the Wild Journal account. So if everybody's up for it, I can share some of the responses that I got and uh, you could throw in your two cents as well. My question was something to the effect of uh, what's a book that you've grown with over the years? And I, I kind of made the comments uh, when I posted, we could say book or kind of other piece of artwork We're kind of open-minded enough to, uh, to kind of consider. Uh, kind of all art forms on an equal playing field. So one of the responses I got, for example, was music. So uh, I'll share one, and you could kind of think it over for a moment. If nothing jumps out at uh, at the top of your head, I'll share one that I received. And uh, as it turns out, we'll return to author of Red Eyes, Brent Atkinson. Uh, who's one of the people who, uh, who responded on Instagram. So I'll throw that one out there first. So Brett Atkinson uh, responded and uh, he said his words. Uh, For me, Towns Van Zant is the greatest songwriter of all time. And as the years pass, his music continually speaks to me in different ways. He's one of those folk slash country legends that so many people have never heard of. Uh, but they've certainly heard his songs or perhaps even covers. Um, an example is the uh, Pancho Nafti song, uh, which I guess had a uh, more famous, was one of those songs that had a more famous cover than the original. Uh, back to Brent's words, but Towns was such a poet and there are so many hidden gems in his songs. Just the really poetic lyricism, like in the song Two Girls or She Came and She Touched Me, to really simple yet odd, simple yet oddly profound songs about everyday people like Lonesome, No Lonesome tune, Snow and Raton, or Marie. Uh, I think he's one of those songwriters that wrote largely from the subconscious, which explains for some of the ambiguity in the lyrics of the songs, uh, but that I believe is one, one of the marks of a great artist, creating art that speaks across culture, across cultures, and across experiences, art that speaks to humanity. I have to admit, I wasn't super familiar with Towns Van Zandt. Does anybody here, does that kind of ring a bell with anybody here? Other than the name.
1: Yes, but absolutely not the name.
0: Okay. So that's a a pretty decent recommendation, because uh, it is kind of one of those people maybe you would find it sounds familiar once you've listened in. So yeah, that's that's worth, uh, worth checking out, Towns Van Zand. So yeah, anybody here have maybe their own response to that initial question? A book piece of art you've grown with over time?
2: <laughs> I actually have um, something and it's um, it's funny, when I thought about this, I really focused on books. And I was like, oh, you know, I I feel like I should be saying something like, you know, Murakami uh, and or like, you know, Jane Austen. But I would be misrepresenting myself. And so the truth is that there is a book written by um, Steve Martin, a novella called The Pleasure of My Company, And it happens to be one that I go back to uh, over and over. And I, I wish he would write more, more books. I absolutely love it. Um, I, I am a former clinical social worker, as I mentioned, and, you know, the main character has OCD and I am also a huge comedy nerd. You know, I, I, take comedy very seriously. <laughs> and I believe that comics um, are really important um, in presenting, they're like, you know, philosophers. I'm not the first person to say that, but they are our philosophers. I, I love the, they, they really challenge us to think and look at some things that we don't, we, some truths that we don't necessarily want to see. And I love using comedy as a way to cope too. So, having said that, I love that this book is—you know—this guy is pretty severely. The the protagonist is pretty severely um, impacted and and limited by his OCD. I mean, he has so many limitations. He can't step off a curb, so you can imagine how difficult that would make leaving <laughs> leaving your house and going somewhere. <clears throat> he has inter interpersonal issues. It's it's just very it's life is very hard for this guy. And yet there's humor and there's beauty. And um, it's just, it doesn't, it's sort of evergreen for me. And, um, you know, you could change OCD into whatever challenge you have, you know, whatever challenge you're currently facing, and you could sort of, whatever you're feeling limited by. And, you know, that this book ser- serves as a a point of reference for me. So that's the truth. It's not a, one of the great classics. It's a Steve Martin novella. <laughs> and now you know a little more about me.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, I it's not one I was familiar with. So that's, uh, that's kind of a nice thing about uh, asking these types of questions is you end up with a whole bunch of recommendations. <laughs> uh, so I'll throw one more out there and then uh, see if anybody else has anything. Um, Brianna Young had a suggestion, I guess this one, and uh, maybe a little more on the academic side, so we'll balance things out. Uh, she said, uh, Carl Jung's Man and the Symbols always grounds me or reminds me to trust my instincts, especially in my art. It discusses Jung's theory on the individual subconscious mind as well as the collective unconsciousness where all sorts of archetypes, symbols relating to the human collective are stored and accessed through dreams. The book dives into dreams and universal symbols like mandalas, crosses, circles, and animals, and how we can interpret them as individuals versus how they've been interpreted in the collective. The book truly inspires me and reminds me of how connected we all are. So thanks, Brianna, for a little bit of Jungian psychology in the mix, which is always welcome from my perspective.
3: That's a very good choice. I like that one. I, I don't think that I've read, read it, but, you know, I've heard of it and seen quotes. You know? <laughs> um, but I I find book, books like that fascinating, too. And one of the ones I thought of was Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, which I think there's a lot of parallels between those two. But uh, Yeah, that was a great selection.
2: Agreed, that was a great selection. I like that.
0: Nice. Uh, I think I own it somewhere
2: (laughs) in my archives from probably from graduate school.
0: Throw one more out there. Amanda Roth, a former contributor to the journal. She said, uh, I read, My Name is Asher Lev by Hayim Patak for the first time in university and absolutely did not appreciate it back then. Uh, It is really a beautiful exploration of one artist and responsibility to art, family and community. Every time I pick it up I find myself connecting with a different character and it unveils a little more with each read. That's one I was not familiar with as well and that one looks actually like it's going to bump up my reading list uh, a little bit after I read the Wikipedia page huh? and uh, learned a little bit about it.
3: Well, I, I picked out a book too. Sure. Um, and this one, it's called listening to the land. And it's by Derek Jensen, but it's the subtitle is conversations about nature, culture, and eros. And it was published like in the mid nineties. So it's been out for a long time. And he, <sighs> I, he, I think he published some of these interviews in, in magazines like the sun and other places. Yeah. You're shaking your head. you you're yeah. familiar with it, Aaron. I'm
0: yeah. uh, not familiar with that book, but I, I, I am familiar with Derek Jensen. A bit. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, an amazing book. I mean, you know, it's just, these interviews are just something else. And uh, the people, you know, from Frederick Turner and um, you know, to uh, Matthew Fox and and Thomas Berry, who were, are were um, uh, religious philosophers, to um, artists like Sandra Lopez, to you know Susan Griffin, Terry Tempest Williams. It's just an amazing collection of, of individuals that he interviewed. And oh, and Dave Foreman, who was the, you know, one of the. Um, uh, Uh, inspirations for one of the characters in the Monkey Wrench Gang. (laughs) You know, it's just quite a collection. And I, you know, I just open it every now and then and look at something I underlined, you know, 15 years ago, or whenever I first got it. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, that's really good. (laughs) Just some of these quotes are amazing. And so I just find it really inspirational. And I just keep it. It's one of the few books that I keep on my writing desk, right there, staring at me all the time instead of on the bookshelf. And um, I I, I just would highly recommend it. I think he did an excellent job with it.
1: Awesome,
0: yeah, that's uh, another one. See what I mean, my reading list keeps getting bigger. Another great one, yeah, Derek Johnson. What was the title again of that collection?
3: Listening to the Land. Listening
0: to the Land, good. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> uh,
1: Chris did you have any thoughts on that one or? yeah this is a scary one for okay. me because I, I, I would go Steinbeck no matter what uh, and initially if you were trying to piece together who I am from the last 10 years of my social media presence or even my dating profiles you'd say uh, East of Eden Because of the family dynamics and I I can't help but attach the movie where there's a really strong father-son dynamic that clearly is very on point and uh, something that would resonate from age 12 on through me peaking over the age of 40 which is going to be here any second now but I got to pick Henry Rowe because when I was 14 years old that was when I was kind of getting turned on to storytelling I think I encountered the movie Magnolia the, the novel Cannery Row, the novella Cannery Row, and Tom Waits, the singer, all in that fourteen fifteen range. And that's when I started to kind of come alive to the storytelling, literary poetry scene. And so those all got woven together and I just declared my favorite novel of all time will be Cannery Row. And there's a problem with that in the kind of the declaration, once you've chosen that as your favorite book, that's always the answer on a first date when somebody says, what's your favorite movie or your favorite book? And then you wonder, is there a tail wagging the dog kind of situation? Thematically it works. You've got the spiritual connection to nature. You've got a kind of lonely protagonist, but a found family in a community that just like the ecosystem of the waterways off Monterey Bay, kind of creates this uh, sense of found family and the sense of community and everybody has their place and what normally would get turned into a stratified uh, hierarchy is kind of this very beautifully, sweetly egalitarian little uh, microcosm of the exact universe that I want to live in. But since I declared that as my favorite novel, every five years I have to kind of go back to it and decide if it still is or how well does it hold up? Am I forcing it? Well, I said this is my favorite novel, so it has to be. It's sort of like my Bible now. Um, But that in a way is good because it kind of instructs me. I'm not a religious person. I'm like 35% Buddhist. Uh, 25% lapsed Catholic, so you get all the guilt without any of the nice mechanisms to (laughs) to get rid of all the guilt. Um, And that leaves about 70 or 50%, you know, open to culthood. I feel very vulnerable to anything that feels like a tight-knit group, so I got to be very careful around anything that feels like a cult. The book has served well in that model of a perfect community or a perfect communal dynamic. That seems too good to be true, but there's cracks, nobody's perfect. Uh, there's uh, there's priests, there's prostitutes. The main character is a marine biologist who's sort of a hopeless romantic, but also a man of science. And I don't know if it holds up stylistically. I kind of go back to it and they say, oh, that passage about the octopus isn't as well written as I remember. But thematically, it's 100% there. And I'm at a stage in my life where I'm kind of preoccupied with that. My dad's 83, my dog's 92 and dog years. Uh, so, I've been thinking a lot about where meaning comes from, how much of it is coming from our role, and how much of it is kind of us <laughs> deliberately taking a, a story or a text or a religious text or nature as a text and kind of letting that guide us. So, we're not doing as much of the meaning making work. But clearly, it's a cycle, it's back and forth. And so far, the book's held up well, especially in terms of its message, moral, and kind of spiritual foundation. So so far, so good. It's still my favorite.
0: See, that's why I ask these questions because of all the the, the lit talk we've done. um, I didn't know about that. I didn't know about that little cranny of your literary background. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, I'll offer mine, and then I won, but I got to get to you because she's a friend of the podcast and she offered her uh, explanation. So, mine, uh, I did post this previously uh, Marilyn Robinson Housekeeping, previously one of my favorites. I just just before the new year, like probably December 29th or 30th I uh, I dug it out out of a box and started reading it again. and it's just one of those books from the very first time I read it, which was in a college class. It just has some kind of pull, the language, the way that it's a first-person narrative, uh, character telling her story, kind of starts out with this family history, and then getting into the character's um, kind of coming-of-age type of kind of territory in the, in the novel. The beauty of the language, the depth, the characters, the pathos of it—it's just I can't say enough about it. If you haven't read it, check it out. Buy a used copy on eBay for five dollars and uh or get it from the library and pick it up at the public library or whatever it's wonderful is it the first book Marilyn Robinson wrote which is the first novel 1980 um she's written obviously a lot since then uh, but I think that's her best I don't think she could top it I don't think uh any human could top it basically in terms of a novel so much yeah, so much that to connect to with the, with the characters and how the plot progresses and the connection to nature, and just the, the depth of the emotional experience of these characters that they go through. Um, speaker and then the main other main character other than the speaker, Aunt Sylvie, uh, is one of those characters. Once you meet her, you don't forget for the rest of your life. I feel so. Um, that's my selection. And uh, Wow!
2: Everybody, there's so many interesting choices, but Aaron, I think you've done the best sales pitch thus well, far. <laughs> You're like, run I out, did, and get it! I, yeah. I, I absolutely want to run out and grab it now.
0: Yeah, it's all played So I did get made made into a movie in the mid to late '80s or something, which is very well done. Uh, also, um, so you can even do the Cliff Notes version and watch the movie. And uh, we'll finish up previous podcast participant, Vian Borchert's first selection, which is a painting, um, and going with one of the classics, Mona Lisa. The painting is some sort of comfort food to me as an artist. It's almost a magnetic power, as I mentioned in housekeeping. That power for me um, keeps me going back to and discover something I might have overlooked or not seen earlier. Um, we all know the intrigue of the mysterious shy smile. There have been numerous stories about Leonardo and his bizarre love toward the painting. Uh, that has been said that he, and that it has been said that he carried the Mona Lisa painting wherever he went and traveled. So I didn't know that part. Uh, she continues. Some say the woman in the painting is his estranged mother, whom he did not get to see growing up as a child. Others say the painting is a form of self-portrait. Um, so many speculations over the years have developed, uh, yet the smile and the pastoral deep green landscape in the background are what makes me revisit it, revisit its endless charm. This is quality is what draws one in and makes it a masterpiece. A nice little spectrum, a comedy piece, so kind of from a comedy writing, um, some literary, some psychology, um, some environmental, another novel. We're doing, doing our part here. Everybody's got a, a nice reading list after hearing all that. And even some music, some listening enjoyment. We'll say thanks to our participants, Rachel, Mary, Beth. Uh, thanks for your time. Chris, as always, thanks for joining in. And we'll talk Thank to you next time.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. It was was a pleasure. Thanks. Great talking to you guys.
3: Yeah. Great talking to all of y'all.